So Is that anyone? How do we walk through that inning? It's <laughs> just kind of sad, sad, but also really fun and embarrassing. Yeah, I, I would say the part for me that made it so weird was that this guy, Cole Reagans, is having a remarkable second half of the season. Mm -hmm. Lowest ERA in the major leagues in the yes. second half. And all of a sudden, he just, like, forgot what to do. Like, he was blaming the mound. He was blaming the mound. He was looking at I it, and everyone know. came out and was like, ah, the mound looks fine, buddy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, investigating this, the, <laughs> right. like the dirt, like, it's normal. It's like, uh, I don't know. Look, look, look here. I step here, and something happens. Like, no, you just kind of, like, lost it. And I, I I feel like it was like a, like a yip situation. Was it not? I, I think that that's certainly a way to describe it. I, I Every time I saw the replay, like, it just got worse. Sixth inning. Obviously, if you haven't had a chance to see it, I, you have to stop what you're doing. Just type in Cole Reagans on yeah. Twitter. He goes three absolutely, like, a wild pitch is, uh, you know. Those are not I wild I throw pitches. a wild pitch. Yeah. I don't think I could have thrown what Cole Reagans Those did. Those were, like, 50-cent ceremonial first pitches. 50-cent probably watched and said, oh, thank God. <laughs> this guy, this guy is the new worst pitch in the history of the MLB. It was, I felt really, I really did feel bad for him because yeah. as you said, he's having an incredible second half of the season. The, the Kansas City Royals are not good. They're not a serious baseball team. That was their 100th, 100th loss mm -hmm. yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course getting swept up by the Blue Jays this weekend. And we, you know, we, we didn't, uh, we didn't give them too much love and appreciation on Friday when we tried to tee them up. We had Ben Nicholson Smith on. I remember asking him, like, what redeeming qualities do they have? And I think he mentioned Cole Reagans was going to pitch on Sunday. And he was someone that had been a little bit of a turnaround. They had Bobby Witt Jr., but the list kind of ended there. And that sixth inning, um, to give the Blue Jays the tie, I mean, sometimes you're just gifted things from the baseball gods and the content gods. And I think we got both in one <laughs> setting. Three absolutely bizarre, wild Ridiculous pitches um, in a row, and everybody else pitched fine afterwards. So I, I just maybe he slipped, maybe he got the yips, but it was a really strange thing. They were up, they were winning, and then... <laughs> I can't believe they left him in after the third wild pitch, too. I, do you think it was just too embarrassing to be like, now get off the field? Pro probably. Like, you have to say, work yourself through this. Probably. But you I, pull I, him. <laughs> it's, that's probably why they left him in. Just like, how do you, how do you pull him? But I guess you could just stay afterwards. Like, obviously, there's, you know, something with the mound and wasn't comfortable pitching, and that's that. It's like he or was slipping injury, on even, butter. Honestly. Like, it's like, it's like, I, it's like the the cleats yeah. just disappeared, and it was like a flat skateboard shoe. Yeah, it, it was honestly one of the weird things we've ever seen on a baseball field. Like, Jamie Campbell tweeted that he's been <laughs> watching baseball since 1977, and he's never seen anything like it. Like, Bach was incredulous after the second one, like on the broadcast. He's like, oh, he did it again. He did it again. Like, the, the, and then he did it again after that. No, it, was, it was insane. So, yeah, I mean, the Jays will take it, right? Because you think of where they were just two weeks ago, August 29th. They had just lost to the Nationals and were three and a half games out of a oh, wild yeah, we card were, spot. we were writing them off. It was over. We were playing in their vacays for We were literally October having 1st. conversations that they're out of the playoff race. Like, it's done. They're done. Team stinks. They're done. And... Looky here, and we were, but you know, good for, good for everyone that looked at the schedule and said, "This is why you play 162 games." Well, wasn't that hard to look at the three worst teams in baseball coming in a stretch? No, but no, but even, but even fans, I think were, they were so upset with the way that the team mm -hmm. was performing that they were looking at 
those three series and thinking, well, okay, maybe they go 500. It doesn't really help them. Like they're not no. really good enough to just walk through those three teams. And they didn't walk through them. They went 10 and five, which is uh, good and much needed. But I don't think there was optimism necessarily going into those three series. And luckily for the Blue Jays, they were able to salvage it in a way with a, a sweep of the, of the Royals taking care of business. It was only maybe two weeks ago is the accurate time frame where the Blue Jays dipped below 500, right? I mean, sorry, below not 500, below 50% chance yeah. of, of yeah, making it. Yeah, they were it. 37 or 38. It was yeah. real dismal. And yep. as of this morning on Fangraphs, 79.3% chance of making the playoffs. They uh, are... Okay. Can I just say something? And, and we'll ask Buck about this. This is like kind of like... He had a pretty epic analytics rant mm. over the weekend. I loved it. It was amazing. And I want to ask him about it. But this is like... Percentages are essentially analytics. They must not have taken into account the fact that the Blue Jays were playing the Rockies, the A's, and the Royals. Because to go from 38% and now 79% going 10-5 and five against those teams is not crazy. Well, I would say, I don't know how, I'm not an analytical mind. I don't, yeah, this I mean, isn't Jays Talk either. Plus. I dropped math like it was hot. Oh, yeah. I took data management just to scrape myself because you know how I have to take like, Why? well, because you have to take one math course to be able to apply like there's a better solution to that well, yeah calculus no definitely not yeah, yeah no well in grade 12 you had to take an extra oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. i so, took calculus out of school like one of oh, those no, 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 no. i mean like grade fake. 12 like applying for yeah, school you yeah. need like one legitimate yeah. math course and i did not take calculus i took data management yeah. which is supposed to which i also qualified like as statistics yeah yeah so well, let me give you my statistical okay. analysis yeah, so as a data this. management yeah, yeah. grade 12. I don't even know when I got into that class. My, yeah, Miss Shen was my professor. I remember she was like, girl, are you going to go to an Ivy League school? Good luck. <laughs> anyway, look where I made it. Um, anywho, so my statistical analysis is that fan graphs and probably the other, whatever, what other website you use, probably did account for the Blue Jays having a weaker schedule because you can you can see the strength of the schedule remaining, but they probably didn't account for the Texas Rangers blowing this mm -hmm. for the Blue Jays. Like, you can only control really yourself when you're out there and you're focused on winning games, and the Blue Jays did what they needed to do this last uh, weekend, and then, of course, winning three series, only sweeping one, whatever. They've won eight of the last ten games, the Blue Jays have, but the Texas Rangers certainly surprised everybody with the way that they've played over the last stretch, uh, the way that they have dropped out of the lead of their division now to a point where they're behind the Blue Jays in terms of a wild card spot. The Blue Jays are a game up on one and a half games up on Texas and a game up on Seattle. What yeah. happened there? I thought Seattle was miles and miles ahead, but things are happening where you focus on your own page, but this is why standings watch is so fun at this time and also stressful. September is kind of where you see who are pretenders and who are contenders. Oh, that was sick. You yeah. That line. Yeah, that was, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Anywho, I, I think that what Texas has done and what the Blue Jays have done kind of adds to the flip of the script from 38% to 79%. So there's my analytical. <laughs> I think I passed. I, I think that was excellent. Back to grade, t uh, grade 12. I think that here. was excellent. If I uh, do say so myself. Um, yeah, you're right. Like Seattle, went into Tampa and lost three or four mm -hmm. and lost two or three to the Reds, the series before that, and lost two or three to mm -hmm. the Mets, the series we before that. We were thinking about Seattle. Right? We like, about Texas they were only. so, so, so hot in August. Like, they had that crazy stretch where they lost one in, what I want to call it, Because they 15. were the hottest team in baseball. Yeah. And it has not been the same in September, and it's just another example of you can get really hot 
in baseball over a 162-game season, but you can also get pretty cold or you can run into some hot teams and like the Rays just somehow are every single year, regardless of having everybody in their lineup hurt and their rotation at all times, they Mm -hmm. just win. So Seattle ran into a buzzsaw that is the Rays and Texas I mean, they two of three from the A's, but before yeah, well, that was an absolute disaster. Yeah. Like they, like they, they're choking it away. They're not a bad team. This should not be happening. They, they're they spend a ton of money. They have Marcus <laughs> Simeon, who's the man. Blue Jays mm-hmm. fans know that. Um, Adelis Garcia is having a ridiculous year. They have Corey Seager. He's batting three thirty six. They got the names, but they're choking it away. So this is like this four game set that begins tonight. I cannot wait. This is, is playoff baseball. Like September is fun because not that the players don't give everything they have for 162 games, but there's a urgency in September that comes out hopefully with veteran players, veteran leaders and teams that understand they're on the cusp. We have a clip from Kevin Kiermeyer. Obviously he was the story of last night's game. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's been a story. I think a lot of this season, about just what a great acquisition he was. A lot of questions about his health. What's he going to be able to do? He's been, he is loved and cherished in this city. And last night he added to that. He kind of cuts his own promo, takes the mic um, off of, it was Arden, I believe, on yeah. the field. Yeah. And he just asked him a question and he's just like, no, give me the mic. And he does what I think the Blue Jays fans are looking for at this point, is a leader, is a guy that's like, this is this isn't far, this is far from over. You know, this has been the last couple weeks where we've really been pushing. Eight out of the last ten, we've won. And um, here is Kevin Kiermeyer on the mic in front of the Rogers Center, and listen to the roar from the crowd afterwards. Hey, we got three weeks three weeks left of the season. Rogers Center, you've been electric all year. Hey, we need it. We've been working for October all year. We're going. Okay, you guys ready? Let's go. Listen to that Sunday so afternoon crowd against one of the worst teams in baseball this week coming up against the Texas Rangers. We've been talking about it, most important series so far. It really is. Like we kind of throw that around sometimes. This is when we truly mean it. It's playoff baseball these next four games. Uh, if Jays win three or four, they get the tiebreaker. That could be really, really huge when we look forward to it. But you're rolling in as a hot team. As the Blue Jays are a hot team right now. Rangers are really not. So this is where you're going to see hopefully what this means to be peaking at the right time. The Blue Jays have most of their, like they got four games here with Bassett, Ryu, Kikuchi, and Gosman. Like unbelievable. It's no joke. It's uh, Dane Dunning tonight, Max Scherzer tomorrow, Jordan Montgomery on uh, Wednesday, and Thursday's Nathan Evoldi. So, I mean, I'm going down to Wednesday's game. That'll be be Montgomery and Kikuchi, my guy. Uh, but if you can get down on the Rogers Center any day this week, it's it's must-see baseball. Uh, I would imagine all four are going to be sold out, so you'll probably... Uh... We're back. It is Jesse and Ailish live. That was a sick transition. That was We are back. The studio is safe. We are not on fire. Everybody is healthy and happy, and we're glad to be back on the airwaves. Uh, thanks to Josh for tiptoeing back there, making it happen. Um, everything's good here at the Rogers there Building. There were firefighters. There were certainly firefighters. Legends. And you know what? They're trying to extinguish the fire that are the Toronto Blue Jays, and it can't happen. It cannot happen because they are red hot right now. And... 
We're going to be joined live by our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Buck Martinez, Blue Jays, color analyst for Sportsnet. Buck, we're glad to have you on the air. We just had a fire alarm. I think the Blue Jays are just igniting this city um, from inside and out. How are you this morning, Buck? <laughs> I'm doing great. I hope everything is well with you all down there. <laughs> we're okay. We're all good, Buck. Uh, we're, uh, we survived. Uh, really, uh, everything's good. Okay, so the Blue Jays sweep this weekend. Um, I know that they, they wanted to do a little bit better in terms of these teams that were under 500, but nonetheless, they're coming into this series here against the Texas Rangers with a lot of momentum. Obviously, we know the importance at hand with trying to get as far away as we can with the Texas Rangers. I just feel like this is almost like playoff baseball tonight, these four games. The Rogers Center will be fired up, and the uh, the impotence on winning is very, very high. Absolutely. It certainly is playoff baseball and has been for a while now. And you think about the consequences of these series. And uh, you know what? The Blue Jays did exactly what they had to do over the weekend. Uh, you know, Kansas City's having a tough season. And, uh, you know, you're, you're supposed to beat these teams. And uh, it was uh, a little interesting at times uh, the way they uh, came back and got in the game yesterday with uh, two two-out walks and three consecutive wild pitches was not exactly how you script it, but they'll take it for sure. Have you ever seen anything like that yeah. before in your life? Like your illustrious no. baseball no, uh, that's life? The first time. Like that was unbelievable. I, I really to watch. feel bad for. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt bad for the young kid. He was really pitching well, and he's a very good young pitcher. And I think uh, what happened was it, it got in his head. The first time he slipped, you know, he, he didn't hurt himself, and then he came back and threw the next pitch and all the way back to screen, and then it got into his head. And I think Matt Kuchar, the manager of the Royals, did the right thing taking him out. Yeah. I don't think he would have done uh, anything more because it was in his head at that point. And it was, uh, they're, they're lucky he didn't get hurt. It was uh, just an unusual situation. I remember on the Friday, I believe, of the Guardian series, you said on the broadcast that ideally for the Blue Jays, 12-3 and three over the 15-game stretch would be uh, the best for them. They end up going 10-5. Uh, and five. How would you evaluate how they performed over the 15-game stretch that now sees them uh, back in the second wild card? Well, you know what? Um, there were some games that got away from them, and, not, you know, they um, – they should have played a little bit better, but they didn't. But the other teams didn't play very well, too, so that helps them out. And now they're in a pretty good position when you look at it. Uh, you know, they got a game up on Seattle and a game and a half up on Texas. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden they're the number two wild card team, which means they would play Tampa Bay if the uh, wild card postseason started today. But, uh, you know, you can't worry about who you're going to play. You just got to make sure you get in. And I think that the one thing that Blue Jays got going for them right now I love the way they won the game yesterday. They had that uh, inning where they played small ball. They uh, got a couple guys on. They played hit and run. They had a squeeze bunt, a little bit of everything in that game. So I think that shows you how you're going to have to play baseball in October when once the postseason starts. We're chatting with Sportsnet's Buck Martinez. So eight wins in the last 10 games for the Blue Jays. It feels like real momentum. And I wonder for you how important it is for the veterans to be some of the guys that are showing a lot of value. Springer's turnaround over the last month has been pretty important. I know like Matt Chapman and Brandon Belta, not always in the lineup, but having them around, having their experience, like they have played extreme amounts of important baseball. Same with Kevin Kiermaier. Having those guys right now, specifically when September comes around with important games at hand, is that really where you see the value in having veteran voices? Absolutely. I, I think this weekend uh, just demonstrated how deep the, the team is and what they are capable of doing. When you look at Friday night's game, 
it was Bowen Vladdy that did most of the damage. And then Saturday afternoon, it was Springer with his two home runs and four RBIs. And uh, Kevin Kimmerer, you know, he got everything started on Friday night with that triple. And then yesterday, it's a big home run to, to give the Blue Jays the lead. So you're right. Both Kiermaier and uh, Springer have extensive postseason experience, and uh, that's when they're supposed to step up. And fortunately for the Blue Jays, they did. You had just an, an excellent, uh, I don't want to say rant, but uh, opinion on analytics in baseball over the weekend, Buck. And I think it, it caught fire a little bit, went a little bit viral on Twitter. Um, why do you think that conversation resonated with so many people in the sense that, you know, trust, sometimes you got to trust the baseball guys and trust what you see on the field. Uh, and I think it started with the, the decision to take Yusei Kikuchi out after five innings when he seemed like he was, was really going. Why do you think that struck a nerve with so many baseball fans watching? Well, I, I think uh, a lot of baseball fans are watching the game and they see Kikuchi uh, pitching, uh, throwing 88 pitches, had given up three hits at that point of the game. And it's against the Kansas City Royals. And, you know, they're not very good. They've lost 100 games already. And if your good pitchers can't dominate a team like that and carry you deeper into the game, then, you know, you probably don't have the right players. But every one of these starters on the Blue Jays rotation wants to pitch deep into the game. And, you know, analytics will give you an idea of what happens over the course of 162 games. They can't tell you what's going to happen in the next five minutes. And that's where you have to trust baseball people, where they see the opposing teams and how they're reacting to Kikuchi's pitches and what they're doing. Are they having a chance? And I always go back to the Dodgers and the Rays in 2020 when they took Blake Snell out of the game. Mm. The L.A. Dodgers, to a man, stood up and said, okay, now we got him. Because Blake Snell was dominating them. Mookie Betts had no chance. Max Muncy had no chance. And because the analytics suggested the Dodgers were going to hit Blake Snell the next time they saw him, they took him out of the game. And that cost them the World Series. Those things have happened too often where you don't have enough baseball people to make the decisions or you don't allow your baseball people to make the decisions. And I think that's unfortunate because the game has never changed. And, and I will argue till I'm blue in the face that the game is no better because of the introduction of analytics. Nobody that has a team that has the highest exit velocity or the best launch angle has ever won a game. You win games because of the runs that score across the plate and because of the players on the field get it done. And, you know, all of that good stuff is great for training. It's all good for getting better and everything else, but it can't help you during the course of the game. I mean, here's an easy analytical one. Uh, David Schneider, good in the lineup. Well, we love watching him play. I uh, love seeing what he's done to this team. I know there's a, a over the course of 162 games and calling them, sometimes there's lulls, but having the excitement of the Buffalo Bisons come up and make an impact on this team, uh, what has that done for, for you as a, as a broadcaster, but also for this fan base? Something that, to cheer about over the last couple of weeks, and clearly it's worked. Eight out of ten in their last ten, and, and they're looking like they have an opportunity at a, at a wild card berth. You know what it does? It inspires the players on the team. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bo talked about this on Friday after Snyder had a couple of doubles and two walks Friday night. He said it's great to see these kids come up and see all of their excitement because it reminds us how fortunate we are to be playing this game. And I think it's been true with, with Spencer uh, Horwitz and, and with Clement and with Snyder. And they all come up and they've done a good job. And, yeah, you know, we need Bo, we need Chapman, we need the regulars, but, boy, those kids came up and really gave us a spark, and I think that was the difference in how they are now and why they're where they are in the standings is because 
when Davis came up in Boston and had that historic series against the Red Sox and then had a little bit of a lull and then he brought it back and, you know, he's hit seven home runs so far. It's going to be interesting to me to watch him against Texas now because he was a, a little bit exposed. Kansas City pitched him really tough over the weekend mm-hmm. and they stayed away from him. They didn't give him many inside pitches and I'm going to be interested to see how the Texas Rangers have picked up on that. Dane Dunning pitches tonight against Chris Bassett. So it's going to be interesting to see their approach against uh, David Snyder. But, you know, fortunately now uh, some of the other guys are hot. Bo will be back in the lineup again tonight. He'll probably play shortstop. And, um, you know, Matt Chapman, I, I talked to him yesterday. He's not that far away. So hopefully by the end of this week, he'll be getting close to coming back and being active once again. I certainly don't want to look for negatives in, in the Blue Jays' performance over the weekend because they're in a really good spot. They did a lot of really good things, and they're playing arguably their best baseball of the year at a really good time. But I do have to ask about uh, Jordan Romano. Still a great numbers across the board, 34 saves. He's fourth in the major leagues in saves, but uh, a little bit of a dicey situation. Friday comes in and throws 28 pitches, and then on Sunday yesterday, uh, 29 pitches, loads the bases, ends up getting out of a bit of a jam. Is there any cause for concern in what you've seen from Jordan Romano over the last little while? I think what those two games do, it brings back into focus how difficult it is to close out games, no matter who you're playing. Uh, And, you know, the Royals, they don't have anything other than to play the spoiler role. And uh, Jordan, uh, you know, had a little tough outing on the – he got an inning in the third on Friday night, pick up the 33rd save. And then, you know, they had their bases loaded, and they got uh, things interesting in the ninth yesterday, but he was able to complete it. And I think – once again, you know, there have been a lot of guys that have had great stuff, and you always project them as being closers, but it takes a different mentality to finish off those games. And Jordan has never wavered. He continues to – he gives up hits, he gives up a walk, but he was able to get that final out of the game when he retired Michael Garcia. So I, I think he's he, – he understands uh, this is not an easy job, but he's never going to cave into the pressure of being uh, in a spot tough late in the, in the ball game, and he was able to complete that too. This series tonight against the Texas Rangers, or beginning tonight, is going to be a doozy. You mentioned the pitching matchups. Uh, the Jays have Bassett, Ryu, Kikuchi, and Gossman rolling. Uh, Texas obviously not playing their best baseball of the season. They did take two of three uh, from the A's, but nonetheless, they have had a really tough stretch in the last month or so. What do you think are some of the keys uh, for the Blue Jays going into this series where they're going to have to deal with some good pitchers on the other side and some big names who are you know, starting to come around a little bit um, whether it's Seeger or Marcus Simeon continuing to do uh, well, they have the names. It's just sometimes they can't execute, and Blue Jays fans know that all too well, too. Yeah, and I think you made a great point. I mean, there are two guys that you really have to focus on in this lineup, and that's uh, Marcus Simeon and Corey Seeger, and they will hit home runs yesterday. And, you know, they're hot, and you have to make sure that those guys aren't the guys that beat you. You know, Marcus had four hits in the game yesterday, and, uh, as I mentioned, he had a home run, and uh, so did Corey Seager, who's missed a lot of time. But Simeon's got 24 homers, and Corey Seager's got 30. So it's uh, it's a hot top of the order, and you just have to focus on making good pitches to them and making sure they don't come up to the plate with runners on base when you don't have the ability to pitch carefully to them. So, you know, I think it's right there in front of the Jays. They know what they have to do. Uh, you know, the Rangers lost uh, Garcia, their big RBI guy, the right fielder, and uh, that's a big bat that they don't have. But in the same vein, you know, of course, the Blue Jays didn't have Bo for a while, and now they still don't have Matt Chapman. But 
this time of the year, it's all about uh, who's going to step up next. And fortunately for the Blue Jays, you mentioned those guys from Buffalo. They've done a good job. And tonight they're going to have to lean on everybody on this roster to help contribute and make it a good series against Texas. Well, it's going to be a great four-game uh, set down at the Rogers Center. I had like a little bit of a preview of maybe what the playoff baseball atmosphere would feel like uh, if the Rogers Center was rocking. Uh, Buck, I uh, really appreciate you coming on this morning. Thanks for hanging in uh, while we worked on the fire alarm. And uh, enjoy the call. And uh, thanks for coming on with us. All right. Thanks for having me. It should be a great week, and we hope to see everybody out at the ballpark. Oh, we'll be there. Thanks, Buck. We'll be there. <laughs> Thanks, Buck. Uh, it's Buck Martinez of Sportsnet and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I was looking on Sportsnet Stats, which has a bunch of really great things out right now about the mm-hmm. Blue Jays. Uh, this is a, a couple days late, uh, but the last time a Rangers starting pitcher won a game was August 15th, Jordan Montgomery versus the Angels. Texas starters are 0-8 in the team's last 20 games, longest such streak in franchise history. It's crazy. Um, obviously, Blue Jays rolling, having a little bit of momentum. We know that the Rangers were kind of on the flip side of that, um, helping the Blue Jays propel themselves to what is a pretty comfortable at the moment uh, hold on the second wild card spot. They're one and a half games up with the Rangers in a Uh, One game up on Seattle, which kind of came out of nowhere because Seattle was hot as well. But playoff baseball atmosphere, certainly at the the Rogers Center. We heard Kevin Kiermeyer last night, you know, kind of calling for fans to to really help this team. They want October baseball. So does the fan base. Uh, So it should be an exciting one if you can get down to the ballpark starting tonight. It's going to be a pretty epic uh, Rangers batting order versus Blue Jays pitching. Like if you look at the statistics, mm-hmm. I'm going to list off some of the statistics that the the Rangers are first in the American League in. Okay, runs per game, average, OBP, slugging, OPS, extra base hits, BABIP, and walks. Mm. They are first in the American League in all of those categories. Okay. The Blue Jays pitching staff among AL teams first in ERA, K per nine, starter ERA, saves, inherited runner score percentage. So you are looking at a mammoth matchup beginning tonight at the Rogers Center between what is a very dangerous order in the Texas Rangers and an elite, elite starting rotation for the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, that is a baseball fan's dream. It's going to be uh, fun to watch. I mean, think about who you'd want on the mound. Uh, Chris Bassett to start this off is, is pretty high level of confidence. He's gone eight plus innings in the last couple games. Uh, he is like the hound on the mound, right? So if you want to see, maybe he can get a couple innings of work. That will help this Blue Jays team get through, uh, which will be a tough series ahead. Uh, send in your wake and rake picks at 595.90. We have a couple supporters of the Blue Jays tonight and Jets, Bills, a huge Monday night football matchup. That's at 815, Blue Jays 707 first pitch. A little split screening, but super worth it when you get this head-to-head. Uh, we'll have Carolyn Cameron join us after the break to break down what was a wonderful weekend, of course, at the U.S. Open, uh, Coco and Djokovic uh, with major wins and also Cincinnati and U.S. Open wins parlaying those mm. together, which is fun. Uh, Carolyn will help us break that down and look ahead to hockey season around the corner, awake and rake to wrap up our show. That's all to come on the Fan Morning Show with Jesse and Ailish. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A fun Monday on the Fan Morning Show. We've been through it all. Definitely. A fun Happy weekend. Monday, too, right? Of course. Uh, a fun weekend, of course. Blue Jays with the sweep. Football's back. 
Canada gets a bronze medal and yeah. you got great U.S. Open results. Um, if you're watching what was going on there um, in New York, it was a blast. You got Coco and Djokovic taking home the hardware. Uh, Carolyn Cameron joins us now. Carolyn, I know you're a big tennis gal, but are you a big Coco gal? Because I love Coco, I love with the Coco. <laughs> I do too. I was all over New Balance's site too after she oh, won. So see, New Balance is in. It's like it's in. New Balance is in. It's trendy. It's kind of like the dad shoes, but I think you could rock it. I'm like, do I need two hundred dollar tennis shoes? Probably. <laughs> you might, uh, but an incredible accomplishment for the 19 year old. It's crazy to think she's 19. Like you kind of forget because I like the way that she she carries herself, her demeanor. It's mm-hmm. it's confident, but it's also humble. But it's funny. Like she was poking fun. She was she's not afraid to speak her mind. I just really love the way the Coco's um, come into like her own here, and obviously the way she's playing replicates the way that I think of her as a person. Yeah, I mean, she burst onto the scene when she was 14, 15, so it's incredible, even though she's still a teenager, just how much experience she has on this international, very public stage. And for a lot of people who are being introduced to her, too, at this U.S. Open, and particularly in Saturday's final, it was just so Coco. Mm-hmm. The match, losing the first set, she's such a fighter, and she's so, as I said, poised, not just off the court, but on and being able to just reset. She used to get so down on herself. And by used to, I mean just earlier this summer, even after the French Open when she lost in the final. She said that at that time, she thought that that was like, or not in the final, excuse me, before that, she said she thought that was just the end. It was, the whole tournament was a disaster and it was a total disappointment for her. But now she realizes, no, if I make it far in a tournament and I'm playing well and lose, it's still a success. And Brad Gilbert, I know who she added to her team, just after Wimbledon has helped her with being a little bit more positive on the court. So you saw that in the final when she fought back and just really being able to stay in control of her emotions. And then everyone saw it in that post-match interview too Mm -hmm. on the court when she just took the microphone and went to town. And that was like a TED talk on public speaking. (laughs) (laughs) It was like talking about her dad crying Mm -hmm. and then also thanking all her haters. It was just, it was just perfect and so Coco. It feels like uh, the WTA has been searching for a next superstar and Iga Swiatek had a remarkable year a year ago, but for, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to connect with uh, tennis fans in the same way, like say a, a Serena did. Can, can Coco become the new face of the WTA? Can she be that superstar that that tour uh, desperately wants? Yeah, absolutely. This win was so good for women's tennis, and it was so good particularly that Coco won in New York and that the U.S. Open was her first slam, just because that's where the most kind of star power eyes are, and you see all the celebs in the crowd. And the U.S. Open just has a different level of attention, especially if you're an American. So for her to win that there, she was already a star, but honestly, just overnight now it's totally turned into superstardom and she's going to start being in so many more commercials and you'll just see her everywhere. So it's so good for women's tennis. And it's also great is even Sebalenka, like she's been knocking at the door of Sviantec all season long since the end of last year. And she won her first slam at the Australian Open. She's the only woman this year and in quite some time to reach the semifinals of all four slams. So we're seeing some of that consistency at the top. And Anjabor, even though she hasn't won a slam yet, these are the names who are going up against each other. And they have so much respect for each other, too. But absolutely, to have especially an American face, and she's a teenager in Coco, um, can really lead the way. And it just it leads to more competition at the top. 
and more of these rivalries too, which we, we've kind of been lacking in the women's game. Yeah, Sabalenka, only 25 as well. I believe she's going to be the world number one uh, today yeah. at mm-hmm. this point. Yeah, you're right. She's right on the cusp a couple times this year. What's going to set her over the edge to, to be able to be, you know, she's the number one, but to have won yesterday to, or on Saturday to have been able to be the girl that actually takes home the hardware. Is she, is she so close? There's just one tweak, one thing she needs to do to be able to capture that? Yeah, like she proved it in winning Australia. It's just mm-hmm. a matter, even as she said, kind of post-match on Saturday, she thought she did a pretty good job of keeping her emotions in check. Mm. But they tend to overflow, and she can show a lot of frustration on the court, and even early on in matches, too. So even just a simple mistake can kind of lead her to being very unhappy, which in turn just kind of distracts you on the court. So that's the main thing for her. Otherwise, like it's so hard for anyone to overpower Sebalenka in the game. And that's what was so interesting in Saturday's final because Coco was having trouble dealing with the pace of um, of the ball from the baseline from Sebalenka in the first set. And then it was cool seeing the teenager kind of adapt mm-hmm. as the match went on. And by the second set, she knew how to counter it. But not many other people are able to counter that type of power from Sebalenka. But for her, it's mostly just trying to keep a keep an even mindset on the court. And I really recommend too, for anyone who, especially casual tennis fans who are maybe watching the final on Saturday to watch Netflix uh, break point. Cause it doesn't follow Coco at all, but it does follow Sebalanka. So you get even more of a sense kind of who she is and kind of the hardships that she's been through to get to the point that she is now. Yeah, really emotional uh, after the match on Saturday. Uh, you got a sense for, for how much it meant to her. Um, all right, let's talk about yesterday and what we saw from Novak Djokovic. Carolyn, I mean, he's 36. He's the oldest male champion in the Open era at the U.S. Open. Back to world number one. Like, like He's so, getting better somehow. Someone might look at this th- straight sets victory mm-hmm. and say, oh, it's just Novak being Novak. But like that one wasn't the easiest match that he's ever played like he had to really dig deep maybe rely on some of the serve and volley game that he doesn't usually go to very often like it wasn't that easy in winning his uh 24th career grand slam no and medvedev had a set point in the second and just chose the wrong shot to take because he had a wide open down the line um that he didn't go for and that could have been the set for medvedev with Djokovic, it's just incredible and if anyone watched him in the final in cincinnati against alcaraz Mm. Tennis is so great because it honestly just comes down to a point here or there. And sometimes it can be a bit of timing and a little bit of luck, but most of the time it's just how you handle the pressure and handle the point. And Djokovic, his whole career has just been so good, the best at being able to reset and just never lose. It's, it's like doubt never creeps in. He never loses the confidence. And so now with 24 grand slams, and no, it wasn't, a walk in the park even though it was a straight sets win and physically too I should add he was struggling in the second yep. set so imagine if that had gone to four or five it could have been a completely different story and, and Djokovic knows that too in his mind like he knows when he needs to close things out um, but for him to win 24 grand slams he's the greatest male tennis player of all time there isn't much of a doubt i know that pains you thank you (laughs) coming from a federer fan (laughs) Mm -hmm. but he has the most slams the head-to-head record against federer nadal and just what he's accomplished all the titles even beside the grand slams but you have to think he's got more in the tank because really the one player Mm -hmm. right now who can really push him even though medvedev's beaten him in new york before is alcaraz so if he's still winning at this pace, you wonder how many slams he's going to finish with. And, and he then has to be into the conversation of 
one of the greatest athletes of all time. Because yeah. it's just, it's absurd what he's doing over this length of time through the golden age of tennis in an individual Completely sport. Agree. Won seven of the last 10 majors he's been in. Obviously, the Australian Open, U.S. Open, French Open in one year. Uh, major number 24, he does the really sweet uh, tribute to Kobe afterwards, mm-hmm. which I thought was touching. Yeah. But I wonder if he's starting to, to try to change his narrative a bit. Like, are you seeing a different Novak Djokovic? I know there's a lot of off-course court issues um, in terms of what he's done in his personal life, but nonetheless, like the way he's he's carrying himself, he's a little bit more uh, poking fun at Alcaraz. He did the thing with the hang up the phone uh, in the semifinal match. Like he's just, it seems like he's almost not trying to endear himself more, but he's stepping outside of Novak Djokovic that we knew from the past. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because you always, like in this golden age of, of tennis, you were always either a Djokovic, Nadal, or Federer fan. You weren't really both. But then Federer and Nadal were similar enough kind of in the way they carried themselves and they were pretty close friends that people started to cheer for the other if the Mm. other was already out of the tournament. And then those fans now, I think it was McEnroe, uh, Patrick McEnroe who pointed it out um, at Wimbledon, is now Federer or Nadal fans or Alcaraz fans. Mm -hmm. They haven't moved over to being Djokovic fans. So all that being said is, yes, even though he has the most slams, I think Djokovic has always kind of carried this weight of understanding that maybe he's not as beloved as Federer or as Nadal. And, yes, obviously he has a huge fan base, um, but there's just kind of different levels of fandom when it comes to different athletes over the course of time. So I think he's aware of that. I do think it was telling though when Medvedev said um, post-match yesterday, just how Djokovic has always treated him the same, whether he was Mm. 200 in the world or now whether he himself is a grand slam champion. So that's telling too. It's not like he's unliked on tour, but I just, I do think it, it might bother Djokovic a little bit, just knowing the deep love that, people have for Federer and Nadal. Medvedev also mentioned that, you know, he, he would have wished that Djokovic would have hung up the shoes by now and hung up the racket yeah. because yeah. he just continues to steal grand slams from these guys. <laughs> but you brought up Carlos Alcaraz there and you mentioned the fandom, like watching that semifinal match with Medvedev. First of all, I felt, I kind of felt bad for Medvedev because it was, yeah. it was just so overwhelmingly in favor of Alcaraz, but it struck me that this kid is 20 years old and the expectations of the tennis world are on his shoulders. Like, what does he have to do to ensure that that doesn't become overwhelming? Because it feels like as Federer and Nadal, and I know Djokovic just won again, but as they're getting up there in age and Federer's obviously gone now, it feels like people are just craving to have the next one step right into that spotlight. And Alcaraz is clearly the number one guy that comes to mind for that. But, like, that is a crazy amount of pressure and expectation to have on a 20-year-old. Yeah, totally. And and what's crazy, too, is so far he's handled it so well. So I think all of us are kind of sitting there waiting, thinking, like, oh, okay, does he just have it? Mm-hmm. Does he just kind of know how to handle it? And I think it's, it's surrounding yourself with good people and a good team, which he really has. Um, but it's also what's been talked about so much, especially on the ESPN broadcast, is just, like, how positive and happy he is on court. So it's not like he brings that stress onto the court. He's still really enjoying himself, which I think is a really good sign. It kind of speaks back to what we were talking about with Coco, where that was hindering her a little bit. And now she even has admitted that she's trying to be a little bit more like Carlos and like Alcaraz and pick those up. Um, But other than that, I think he's just so confident and has such a complete game 
that it's not like he has any glaring weaknesses. And that doesn't mean he's going to win every tournament because that just doesn't happen in tennis, even for the greats. Um, but yeah, there's no signs of concern of the pressure yet getting to him. And the fact that he's won slams in two separate years too is a good sign. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's that, that's what I think is so good right now. Cause Jesse, what you're saying is it's like someone wants the next one. And I think with Serena retiring last year, people see here's this young American in Coco. She can be the next one, and she's young, and we're going to cheer for her, and she's already won. And then Carlos is the exact same thing on mm-hmm. on the men's side. We're chatting with Sportsnet's Carolyn Cameron. Uh, we haven't mentioned any Canadian tennis players, unfortunately, yet. Uh, they kind of fell short a little bit at this uh, this uh, U.S. Open, but uh, not in the doubles doubles yeah. world. Uh, we got uh, a championship, a U.S. Open doubles championship. Um, Gabriela Dabrowski won that one. Uh, I mean, I don't think I spend much time, uh, to be honest, thinking about doubles. I'm more of just dialed in on, on the mainstream, let's say. But, I mean, this is a pretty incredible accomplishment. Uh, anything we should be gleaning from that in terms of career wise or even just thinking about Canada on the double stage? Yeah, like Gabby Dabrowski has been such a um, like star for Canada on the double side and, and that's where she's focused the majority of her career and she showed up for Canada so many times representing Canada at the Billie Jean King Cup and at the Olympics. So this is her third Grand Slam title, which is pretty incredible and I think for her, I mean, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I think this would have to be an especially special one because it's in women's doubles and the other two were in mixed. Um, And I was also watching, they should have lost earlier in the tournament. I was watching when they took on Layla Annie Fernandez and Taylor Townsend and they were able to come back. I I forget what the deficit was in the, in the match tie break, but they were down by at least like five points and were able to storm back. So it's a really, it's really incredible. And what's been a really incredible doubles career for Dabrowski. And that's what I was happy to see too. They actually were airing a lot more doubles Mm. um, this year compared to past years, which was great. I really like watching it. And I think for people who like tennis or play tennis, most people play doubles um, wherever it is. So yeah, it's, it's really fun to watch and it should get more, um, it should get more viewers because ironically it's like pickleball is taking off. I was just about and, to ask you about Jeannie Bouchard like, and pickleball. Like tennis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's like watching doubles. But it's just true. On a smaller court. I know yeah, so you're apparently Jeannie's going to, I heard she's still going to be playing tennis and oh. focusing on tennis. I know Jack Sock mm-hmm. just retired from tennis. Hmm. He also has signed to play pickleball mm-hmm. and Sam Query's already a professional pickleball player who formerly was a tennis player. Mm. So, well, you could be next because I know you've been playing. Yeah, doubtful. I don't think <laughs> playing at the end of my street qualifies me. But well, thank you. It's the love of the game, nonetheless. Uh, Carolyn, appreciate you coming on. Uh, get excited for hockey season around the corner. We'll definitely have you I on know. to preview that uh, now that tennis is uh, is is quieting down. Uh, thanks for jumping on this morning. Thanks, CC. Thanks, guys. See ya. That's Sportsnet's Carolyn Cameron. Uh, yes, and Jeannie Bouchard is going to pick a ball, but I'm not sure she hasn't really said if she's retiring for tennis or not, but nonetheless, Jack Sock did decide to go full pickleball route. So <laughs> there is a future for those of you that are playing pickleball uh, at the end of your street, like Carolyn or at the park, because I see now all the tennis courts, the public courts have pickleball areas as well now. Is that spreading. kind of sad? Like a little bit uh, sad? At least people are getting out and being active. I can't be mad about okay. that, okay? So that's yeah. my positive spin. Nice. Um, body break. Yeah, body break. <laughs> body blows if you're Team body, Canada. Body blows. Uh, that's the best way. Um, okay, let's take a, um, a wake and rake here to wrap up the show. we got Rangers and Blue Jays and Buffalo Bills and New York Jets. Wake up! Now it's time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! 
with Ailish and Justin. Hey, well, you know that this Monday Night Football is a big spot. Uh, September 11th game, New York Jets. We got the Buffalo Bills. We got a big quarterback showdown. Someone making their much anticipated debut mm-hmm. in a new jersey. Um, so I'm going to go towards picking something from the Bills Jets game. And I'm going to believe in my guy, Josh Allen. Uh, he's going to want to be the best quarterback on the field tonight. There's a lot of weird drama or speculative drama happening with the Bills. And I think he's going to come out and try to shut everybody up and say, this is about me, not Aaron Rodgers. So I'm going Josh Allen over passing and rushing yards. I know that they've got a good defense, uh, the Jets, but this gives them two options uh, to you know add those together to get over the over. It's 286 and a half, but I'm going to go Allen over passing and rushing tonight. You're wearing a, a Bills Sweater. You know who I'm cheering for. Are you biased? Okay. Um, I am going with Garrett Wilson, 69 and a half. Nice. Receiving yards. Over. Okay. Because Garrett Wilson, it's going to be a second year. Like the only thing holding Garrett Wilson back, and he still had 1,100 yards last year, was quarterback play. And it was Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. And now he has Aaron Rodgers. And you just know that Aaron Rodgers loves keying on one guy. Devonte Adams was that guy for the longest time in Green Bay before it was well, Jordy Nelson. He is going to have a massive year. Garrett Wilson I'm kicking myself for not picking him up in fantasy. Guess who but has it is him it is. in fantasy. So I'm very much happy about this. Pick, you. Okay. Yes. Okay, and yeah. I need it because Justin's whooping me right now. Yeah. And I'm only a 6% chance of winning. So Tough if Garrett Wilson you. goes off tonight, then I might be able to beat not Justin. Not dead yet. Not dead yet. I might. We'll try our best. Um, okay, a couple of anchor picks to go through here. The Eric from Burlington um, says, likes the Blue Jays run line. Jays are coming off a sweep, and Bassett has been electric lately. Dave Dunning gave up nine earned runs last night out. Jays send the Rangers to the shadow realm this week. Love that one. That's great. Uh, followed up by Eric Biggie in Burlington. Um, I like the Jets money. No, we don't like the Jets money line, Eric. Um, Orioles money line and Jays game under. Okay. Have a great day. I don't mind the Jets money line. Um, I might put the fire alarm back yeah. on. So we don't <laughs> uh, good morning. It's Corey from Port Hope here. Hope everyone had a good first NFL weekend. Exciting for those fantasy teams. My fantasy week was awful. I feel you. Tonight, the Bills money line or Stefan Diggs over 69 and a half receiving yards. Nice. I think the Bills are kind of <laughs> flying under the radar right now with all the hype about the Jets, which could benefit them. I agree. I agree, Corey in Port Hope. Um, TJ in Stouffville says Rodgers over one and a half touchdown passes. I actually think that's a, that's a I great I like pick. that, yeah. Um, and a final lot. one here, Courier Chris in Mississauga says, good morning, Ailish and Jesse. If the Jays can get to the Rangers bullpen early, we can take game one. Therefore, I'm going Jays money line first three innings. Okay. I kind of like doing something from the Jays because we have two from the football. Mm-hmm. Oh, two more just got texted in here. Brandon from Keswick, Bills, minus seven. Jays money line, Josh Allen over 59 yards rushing. I think we should just go Jays money line at this point. Yeah. Uh, Don Kincaid, anytime touchdown. I told you about him. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on him too. Um, that was another text in there. Uh, you got a lot on the line tonight. That's uh, Will from Niagara. Um, what if we just went to Blue Jays? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of support for the Jays on the run line, Jays on the under, and Jays on the three three inning money line. Go three inning. That's fun. Okay. Intense. Whatever. Whatever. Do whatever you want. I, I like that. I like that. Um, let me. Yeah. Let's pick that one. Okay. You like that? Yeah. Lead after three ways. Uh, Blue Jays, three-way, three-way money line. Okay, so when you parlay that up, you have Garrett Wilson over 69.5 receiving yards, Josh Allen over 286.5 passing and rushing, and the Blue Jays to lead after three innings. Very specific, folks. Uh, That is plus 645. I love that. 
I, I think we're due for a winner. We certainly are due for a winner. So Courier Chris with the anchor pick. Uh, appreciate everyone sending those in. And big night tonight. Very I'm, excited for, for like, oh, what a transition from Sunday to Monday. Could like, be let's better. go. Blue Jays basically here in a little bit of a preview for what hopefully will be the vibe around the Rogers Center for playoff baseball. This is mm-hmm. the closest the playoff four-game set you're getting. And you got Monday Night Football kicking off, which is a huge, huge game. I have a question for you. Yes. How are you going to navigate the remote control? Do people still call it that? Man, what, do you call, what do you call it? A clicker? I, actually I call, call it a clicker. I call it the channel. The channel changer? The channel changer. Yeah, yeah that's It doesn't tough. make sense. That's but you know why? antiquated, it's to so, the least. It's so sad. But so is remote control, though. No. But how are you navigating that tonight? The because I know changer? you're wearing a Bills sweater, and you also have the well, Jays on you don't tonight, think so. I've had to deal with this before in the morning show hours? Um, I'm a split screen. I got an really? iPad set up and the TV, and I'll be... You know, Blue Jays are at 707, so I'll at least get the first couple innings in, hopefully, depending on how fast we're pitching. Boom, win our bet. And head <laughs> over. We got uh, Bills and Jets. I'll probably let them take over for the first uh, half of that game. But I'm good at split screen viewing. Oh, this, what a dream. It we're is. So spoiled spoiled time night. of year. Tonight is going to be a wonderful night. We've got Chris Bassett on the mound. Uh, that's a 707 first pitch. See if he can go eight again. I would be surprised, but at the same time, he's been that's, that's, he's been very consistent. So what a great way to kick it off uh, for an important set down at the Rogers Center. Bills and Jets, 8-15. Beautiful viewing experience for you tonight. Uh, thanks for hanging in there during the alarms. Me or the, or the listeners? Everybody, the listeners, <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, we're happy to have Monday over with, and we'll be back tomorrow Love morning. It. And uh, that was Jesse and Ailish on the Fan Morning Show. Have a great day, everyone.